The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. So we're looking at the, the Spirit's work in salvation. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, Paul is leading us in worship. This is called, in the Hebrew language, it's called a barakah. It just means an expression of blessing. It's telling how a person is blessed, which means someone who deserves to be, we express uh, gratitude for what he's done because he's, what he's done for us is so glorious. He's talking about the great and glorious blessings of grace, which, is, which God has bestowed upon all who are in Christ. Our response is supposed to be, in the Jewish world, our, our response would be to applaud the person who is being expressed in this. What has he done for those who are in Christ Jesus? Why, why is this such so special? Well, before the foundation of the world, God set his love upon you for himself. So this was before the foundation of the world, before God created anything. He determined that you were going to be related to him. And then it goes on to say he we were predestined to become his sons and daughters. That is to experience life and fellowship with him for time and eternity. And uh, the idea of predestined to become sons and daughters, uh, this word predestined means to plan beforehand. He planned how he was going to make us his sons and daughters. And it was a radical way because it brought the death of the son in order to free us from our sins and our obligation, and we became the sons and daughters of God. This is the essence of this great blessing that's been poured upon us. At the fullness of time, if you want to call it high point of the ages, he sent his son. I only say that because he, uh, the book of Hebrews calls it the high point of the ages. It was this precise moment in the flow of redemptive history when everything before it was leading up to it and everything after it flows from it. So this is what he's done in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. God chose you for himself. He set his love upon you. And he predestined you. He planned how you would become his sons and daughters to experience life and fellowship with him for time and eternity. That's such a rich blessing because I think so many times I I would think this way. Okay, I want to become a child of God, so what do I need to do? And I would come up with this 15-point plan that I would do things that would make me a son of God. But instead, God has determined how I would become a son of God. And so in the fullness of time, he would redeem me by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he took away all my trespasses that caused him to have to go to the cross. The universe has been plunged into disintegration by the fall of man, and it is God's purpose to restore its original harmony in Christ. His people, who he has redeemed uh, with original harmony in Christ by his blood, are the first to experience his restoration that comes when all things are brought under the headship of Christ. But how will he keep you safe until that day? In other words, what if you died before the day that you would become a son of God? After all, only those who continue in the faith will be saved as well. So it would not only up until the time you believe, but what about if you failed after that? Well, God has a plan. He saves for eternity. He he gives you a salvation that can't be rebuked, renewed, or, or undone. This world is reeling under the curse. The devil is your adversary who prowls about. This is how Paul describes his activity. He prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And your own sinfulness trips you up every day. We all know that. Uh, Our own sinfulness is what trips us up. 
How can you possibly hope to make it to the day when Jesus comes back to complete your salvation? When the, the Bible talks about his return, it's when he's going to finish off this work. He's going to give us all the other blessings that we have not yet received as, as children of God as those who've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. In verses 13 and 14, he tells us how what he has to do in order to complete this work. These words complete this word of blessing. In him you also, after listening to the message, this is, these are the words in 13 and 14, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then he describes the Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge in our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The word pledge means deposit, but it's talking about the kind of deposit that's given and can never be returned. You're saying it will never be refunded. This is the way it has been in U.S. economy when it comes to houses. When you put a deposit on a house, you would never supposed to get that back. It was, it wasn't, you couldn't get a refund if you changed your mind. It was to always be there. In this passage, he's telling us that's exactly what the Father did in, in regards to the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of promise. The reason he's called that, he's given us a pledge. He is the pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory, it says. Which means that the Holy Spirit is the one who is the unrefundable deposit. In modern Greek, that word pledge is used, that's translated pledge here, is used of an engagement ring. And the idea is that a man who gives a woman an engagement ring is saying, I never want this back. This is for you. This is to show you my love for you, and I will never ask for it back. Now, that hasn't always held true. For example, in real estate, that's the way a deposit is supposed to be. But it's a rare thing when a real estate agent won't give the deposit back, but they're not supposed to. How does he get his people to the day of redemption and into his full possession? How does he finish off this work of salvation? Well, he does it in this way. He starts off this way by sending you the gospel. He sent the gospel to you, which means you didn't hear the gospel by accident. You heard the gospel because God sent it to you. When they were sealed with the Spirit, they had already heard and listened to the message of truth, the gospel of their salvation. How did the gospel come to you? Well, it may have come in a very unusual way, but the fact is God sent it through a messenger. This is what we're told in Romans 10 and 11, that even the ability to hear is a gift from God. To hear the gospel, that's a gift from God. We're told this in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So the gospel is a gift that's given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Our hearing the gospel wasn't a mistake. We usually don't know this until we have already responded in faith. But in years ahead, when we look back, we realize this was a God-ordained thing, that he brought the gospel to me. And it's called the word of truth. That means it's kind of like an x-ray. It diagnoses a cure. It's called the word of the Lord, the word of God, the word of Christ, the word of life, and the word of reconciliation. It's just the gospel. It's the truth about the gospel. The word of truth focuses on the fact that the gospel is absolutely true. It reveals the reality of God's saving purpose and your place in it. It tells you why he saved you, why he has set his love upon you, and it provides access to the truth out of the darkness into light. Uh, I was reading a book the other day that was put in my hands. I didn't even know by who, but it turned out it was about five promises 
that you can find in Second Peter chapter 1 that you can count on no matter what, no matter what you do or what your situation is or what turn you take, God has made you promises. And these promises are, cannot be violated because of God's character. The gospel of your salvation is telling you about how you have been saved. But you should ask, saved from what? Well, we are told in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, which I'll read to you, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. When you were living in the world before salvation, he says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now what he means by dead is he means you were not alive to God. You weren't listening for his word. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is what Satan wants to keep people in. He wants to keep them in their ignorance that they wouldn't come to know the truth about Christ and the work of Christ on the cross for them. And so this is why he calls this, this the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation is the salvation from this death that you were in, a spiritual death. Uh, and then we were headed for a day when we would experience the wrath of God or bondage to evil powers and sin and the flesh and so forth. So the gospel is not pie in the sky by and by. This is what one person has called news I can use. This is the truth about what God has done and what he will do in our lives when we trust his son. And so this is a first step in you getting to the day of redemption is experienced when you hear the gospel of salvation. Now, when I talk about the day of redemption, I'm talking about the future. Jesus is coming back to save his people in the final step of this salvation is to bring them into his presence and into the presence of God where we will be for all eternity. So when they believed, they were, he says here, sealed with the Spirit. Now that means that we couldn't have lost this for any reason because God sealed us into Christ. We couldn't be broken. Saving faith and vain faith is often compared in the New Testament. Vain faith, empty faith, is simply faith that is misplaced, and therefore it's without works and it's without repentance. When I say works, I mean evidences that you have eternal life. Saving faith includes three things. Number one, it includes understanding the message about Christ. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and rose again. In 1 Corinthians 15, you'll have all three of these things. Saving faith is understanding this message. Number two, it is also includes an assent to this truthfulness. That is, you come to see that this is true and you cannot deny it. And then third, it's personal trust in Christ. It's a gift from God that this is to be personally trusting Christ. That's what we're told in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, that this is a gift of God so that no one could boast. Someone, no one can say, well, I was smart enough to do this or do that. No, we are saved because of God. So he's, he brought the gospel to us, and he brings us to faith. And then the third thing is he seals us with his Holy Spirit. That's what we see there in Ephesians 1.13 and 4.30. Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The guarantee that, that God's going to finish this work in you is, is based upon this seal who wants us to know that he is going to save us to the uttermost. And so we have this kind of personal trust in God because he's made the promises. If you've ever known somebody that could never break their word, when they made a promise, you could depend upon it. The only person I know that's like that is the God of the universe. He will keep every promise, and so we can trust him completely. God sealed you. What does that mean? 
Well, it was common in, in ancient times that cattle and slaves, even slaves, were branded by their owner's seal so they would be identified as belonging to someone. It was a mark of ownership and preservation as the owner's property. Not only would the owner of a slave own this slave, but he also would preserve him because he was an investment. In Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 4 through 6, it says this, God set a sign on his elect to distinguish them as his own and protect them from destruction. He has determined that we are going to be saved to the uttermost, is the way he puts it. He's going to finish this work of salvation. So to be sealed by God means that you belong to God, and in a very special sense, you have been stamped with the character of your owner, You belong to him now, but you are also protected until he takes complete possession of you. He owns us, but we have not yet entered into his presence and settled down and be at home in him. We still are looking forward to that day when Christ comes back and joins us to the Father. We are in him now, but we're going to be with him in the future. In him means you were sealed in Christ at the moment of faith in Christ. You were sealed in him. This relationship can never be broken. It's extremely important that you understand that. I know the word eternal security sometimes scares people, but that's exactly what the New Testament teaches, that we are absolutely secure in Christ. In John ten twenty eight and following, it talks about how we're going to persevere And it goes on through the New Testament. We are told this many different times, that the salvation that Christ provides will last for eternity. And the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of promise. But why is he called that? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit is the seal. You were sealed when you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as an unsealed believer. Let me tell you why we know that. It's based upon Romans chapter 8, verses 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But then he says this, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you don't belong to Christ. So it's something that's true of every single believer who belongs to Christ. Everyone who puts faith in Christ has been sealed. And why is he called this, this Holy Spirit of promise? Because he has sealed us, and that seal can never be broken. There is no refund on this deposit. The commercial term for a down payment or a first installment in modern Greek is now used to describe an engagement ring. And here the metaphor showing what takes place in God's giving of the Spirit, that the Spirit has become that seal that is upon us and it can never be broken. And when he gave it to us, that's important when it says that which is given. It's part of a, a greater whole. He has given us this salvation, and it includes the Holy Spirit who resides in us and on us so that we have confidence that this salvation is for all eternity. He isn't going to get tired of this in two billion years and then say, okay, you've had more than you needed. I set you free. You're no longer a part of my children. That's never going to happen. The Holy Spirit is the first installment and guarantee of the salvation which Jesus is bringing on the final day when he returns. In 2 Corinthians 5.5, We're told that our inheritance can't be received in this mortal body. And so the only way we're going to receive the fullness of our salvation is in the future when we receive our new body. And we will have the Holy Spirit living in us and having sealed us into Christ. And that will be evident to us and to others as they watch how God uses us and works on us and works with us. The Spirit is is called an eschatological seal. That, That simply means 
eschatological just means last days. And so he's saying that the Spirit is the one who gives us this confidence that we are going to experience the last days, the final phase of God's salvation, when he's going to complete every single promise that he has promised us. This marks out the believers as a people who will be protected through the testings and the battles and the sufferings of the last days because we hear about the terrible things that are going to happen, but we're going to be sealed in Christ. We're going to be protected, and we're going to have this seal upon us, we are told in Ephesians chapter 6. So this is a with a review to the redemption of God's own possession. The goal of the seal is to safely deliver us to the Father. When you mail a letter and you put a U.S. stamp on it, you're saying the U.S. government guarantees safe delivery. And you may chuckle and say, well, it doesn't always work. Well, on the whole, it's the best system in the world that they can deliver mail in in this way. And it's because the government is saying, we own this and we will deliver it. So you belong to God now, and he takes this very seriously. He is going to deliver you safely because he's put his spirit upon you. Rather than give up his Holy Spirit, he's going to deliver you just as he has promised. The final deliverance by God means his taking full and complete possession of those who have already become his. In other words, I'm saved. I belong to Christ, but there's a day coming when I'm going to be with him. I'm going to actually live the rest of my life throughout all eternity in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit safe delivery is going to have taken place. And this is to the praise of his glory. In other words, we should be praising God. When you hear a barakah, a statement of blessing, like we heard in the first chapter of Ephesians 1, uh, in Ephesians 1, we are being told that God is utterly and totally trustworthy. We can put all of our trust in him. I read a book recently by a guy who's gone through some terrible times And he expresses how he just was having such trouble believing that he could ever make it through these days. And then someone pointed out to him uh, the promises of God, the five promises that are found in 2 Peter chapter 1. One of the things he says, I think it's the first promise, it says that he will be with us forever. He will never leave us or forsake us, but he will go with us to the very end. So we can trust him. He will keep his promises. And when all of this, his safe delivery of us is to the praise of his glory. In other words, we will praise him throughout all eternity about his faithfulness to us. He stuck with us. We have a lot of people who just can't stand to stick with us and they'll abandon us. But the God of the universe, when he joins himself to you, it is for eternity. He chose you in eternity past. That's a hard one for us to swallow, but that's what the text says. It says that God set his love upon you. And he decided that you would be his own in the past, before the foundation of the world. And then he sent his son at the right moment in history to redeem you. This was the the high point of the ages. It was that that moment where he brought about this event of the, the suffering of Jesus Christ on our behalf to make us right with God for all eternity. At that right moment in your life, he did a work in your heart that resulted in faith in Christ and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. How can you know if you've been sealed with the Spirit? Well, saving faith is living faith. It is. It can be described as love and obedience. It's persevering faith. It's faith that continues in God. You'll stumble and you'll doubt. You can fall into sin, but you will repent of that. You will return and you will persevere. You will continue on until you reach 
that final day when you enter into his presence for all eternity. This is the good news. This is the barakah, the expression of praise of the living God. He is a blessed God. He has blessed us in so many ways. And then he goes on to say, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That is, he didn't save us because we worked. He saved us so we could work. And it would be the delight of our heart to be able to work for the God of the universe. God shows you an eternity past, sent his son at the right moment in history, so in order to redeem you from your sins, then at the high moment in your life, he did a work in your heart that resulted in faith in Christ and sealing of the Spirit. How can you know if this has happened? Well, you'll see the evidences of it in your life. Love and obedience are the primary evidences of having been sealed with the Spirit. You, will, you can stumble and you can have doubts and you can fall into sin, but you will repent and you will return and you will persevere in your faith. This has been the promise of God. If you want to know who's responsible for your, your continued life with God, it is God himself. It isn't me. It isn't you. It's God himself. God has committed himself to bringing you to that final moment when you enter into his presence and all of the gifts of God will be yours for eternity. And that's why we can say amen and we could even applaud in the sense that we're saying, God, you are worthy. You are more worthy than I ever realized. You are a worthy God. You have done all that I needed in order to be brought into your family and to live with you forever. And we thank you for it. Let me pray and give God thanks. Our Father, we thank you so much. You are a glorious God. It's hard for us to believe these things because they're so outstanding. We've never met a person who has this much power and this much grace, this much goodness. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your commitment to us and your desire to have us in your presence for eternity. I know very few people who could say to me, oh yeah, I'd love to be around you forever. Most people would think, I can stand you for about an hour, and then after that, I'd like a break. But the God of the universe has called us into his presence and his relationship that will last for all eternity, and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.